Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews 9. What a worship service thus far. Each one of those songs being a sermon in and of themselves, we could probably close in prayer and and have much to uh, mull over in our hearts and minds. Uh, But we're not going to do that. We're going to preach this morning. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 9. So thankful for Brother Dave bringing the word last week. What a joy it was to hear the message that the Lord laid on his heart as he preached Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, as we continue to work our way just expositionally, verse by verse, through this book of Hebrews. By God's grace, we're going to finish chapter 9 this morning. That's a, a lot to tackle, but uh, we're going to give it a, a good Boy Scout try this morning. And uh, I just hope and pray that as we approach the Word of God this morning, that your heart truly has been prepared, it has been stirred. As we collectively, with one voice, worship the Lord this morning. I was so encouraged, even with a a smaller crowd this morning, um, just how beautiful it is to gather as the church in obedience to the Lord and to worship the God of the universe and to celebrate an empty tomb, a Savior that has defeated sin, death, and hell. Even on a gloomy, rainy Sunday morning, we have much to praise the Lord about. I want to remind us this morning that it's no accident that you're here. We don't believe in accidents in the kingdom of God. I believe He's sovereign over all things, all peoples at all time. That means you being here this morning and sitting under the authority of the Word of God. God has something for you this morning from His Word. And so even as the author of Hebrews, to finish out this chapter, calls us to do what? To eagerly wait for the Lord. I wonder, are you eager this morning to receive the Word of God? I think of Acts chapter number 2, verse number 42, the early church in the book of Acts in its infancy was committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers. I wonder this morning, did you notice an intentional pastoral prayer this morning? We're trying to uh, structure and organize that with purpose, which means it may be a little bit long. But I hope through that you are engaged in prayer with us as Andy, myself, and Dave uh, pray with the church uh, for many, many different things. I hope and pray that as we publicly read Scripture over and over again, the the text of of Hebrews, a a psalm each and every week, and and other Scriptures as, as the Lord lays on our heart, I hope that you understand what a privilege it is to receive the inspired and errant and authoritative Word of God in our day, in the year 2023, the year of our Lord. This is an incredible privilege. And as such, I pray that we would steward this opportunity to receive the Word as as such. Would you join me 
as we ask the Lord once again to bless our time in the Word. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your grace. I ask for your grace right now in this moment that you would speak in and through me. That all of us as hearers receiving your word, that we too need grace. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot change our our minds to be transformed more to the, the image of Christ. We need your spirit to do that work. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the word of God Uh, to change us, to be more like Jesus. I pray that you would give us the grace to simply receive the word gladly and joyfully. And that where there is sin that is exposed, that we would quickly lay it at the foot of the cross, remembering that you have paid for that sin once and for all. It is finished I pray for that individual that may be struggling in sin, maybe a besetting sin that feels like it has power over their lives. I pray that we would remember that you have defeated sin. The bondage has been broken. So Father, I pray that we would receive your grace this morning, your help and mercy in our time of need. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. This morning's message is entitled, Jesus, Mediator of a New Covenant. I know not too original, but uh, we have this theme once again, circling back in this book of Hebrews. Jesus, Mediator of a New Covenant. As we Look back to really chapters 7 and and 8 and 9, and even as we look forward to 10, uh, we we really see this comparison and contrast of the old covenant versus this new covenant. Pastor Dave and, and Brother Dave have taken us up through verse number 14, and up to this point, we've seen the futility of the old covenant. Could not do once and for all, what God ultimately had planned. That could only be done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And really this final extended section, as we move through to chapter 10, it's going to look to further explain what has already been introduced, namely that the Old Covenant still is futile, and that the only hope that we have is in Jesus through the New Covenant. And although we are not Hebrew believers. We do not struggle in our day and our time right here in the American church with slipping back into Judaism and and the rituals of a Levitical priestly system. We don't have that struggle, but do we not, even in our day, struggle with replacing the hope of Jesus with something else? Whether that be our own version of religion or Christianity, whether that be our own good works, checking boxes of a, of a list of things, our own morality that we think we've mustered up in, in our own life, the fact that we our good works may outweigh our bad works, and all the other misnomers and, quite frankly, false gospels 
that often have slipped into the church even in our day. And so although we can't truly empathize with the exact context of our Hebrew recipients of this letter, we can certainly empathize with the challenge to replace the grace of God through Jesus Christ in the gospel, to come up with our own way, or to revert back to our own goodness, our own sense of morality. And I pray this morning that we would be challenged to remember that Jesus truly is the only mediator of this new covenant. I'd say this also as a word of caution and by way of introduction, do not let the familiarity of these themes, now that we have seen chapter after chapter, do not let the familiarity of these themes cause you to minimize the significance of them. The beauty, the majesty, the glory of Jesus through the gospel is an incredible opportunity that we have this morning to remember and to reflect on and to affirm once again, week after week. Friends, I wonder if we truly believed that Jesus was real, what our church would look like. I wonder if we truly believed that Jesus actually lived and breathed and walked on this earth and truly went to a cross and shed his blood to atone for my sin, to pay for my sin. I wonder if we truly believe that Jesus at that time ascended into the Father as the great high priest and is making intercession for us right now in this moment. I wonder if we actually be- what that would look like if we actually believe that. It would radically change our lives. It would change husbands, how we live and react and lead in the home. It would change fathers, how we disciple and interact with our children. Women, it would change how we uh, are a wife and and a mother in the home. It would change uh, employee, how we engage in the workplace. Friend, it would change how we lived in our neighborhood, in our communities, Because we would be gripped by this reality that Jesus is real and as such, he changes everything. The gospel would be on our lips. The hope of Jesus would be lived out in our lives. But friends, I wonder, are we just playing a game? Are we just gathering on Sunday, kidding ourselves into thinking that we actually know the truth of the gospel? Because friends, if it is real, and it is, it would change our lives. And I wonder, has the gospel changed your life? Has the reality that Jesus saved your soul and paid for your sins by the giving of his own life and the shedding of his blood, has it changed your life? Do you live in that reality every single day? Because friends, this is what the author of Hebrews has for his readers. This is why he keeps circling back over and over and over again, hammering them with this reality of this is who Jesus is. This is your only hope. He is the great high priest. He is better than your works. He's better than the angels. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Moses. He's better than even Melchizedek. And at this point, friends, Jesus is better. And I wonder, are you starting to get that reality? And if you're starting to get it right here in your head, I wonder, has it gripped your heart? 
to where you start living this out in the context of right where God has placed you. So friends, let's gaze once again the face of Christ. Through the word of God, let us see a Savior who has given himself and who desires to be the only mediator for us between a holy God and us as sinful mankind. What an incredible opportunity we have this morning. He is real. He is God. Redemption, atonement, propitiation, hope, peace, reconciliation can only be found and experienced through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And oh, that we would never tire of hearing that good news. And so here we are again with yet another message on Jesus. The old covenant, the new covenant, the mediator, better promises, a better covenant, a better sacrifice. Friends, let us not grow weary in hearing this good news. The big idea of our message this morning is this. Jesus, as the mediator of a new covenant, is able to forgive sin and save sinners through the once and final sacrifice of himself before God the Father. Jesus, as the mediator of a new covenant, is able to forgive sin and save sinners through the once and final sacrifice of himself before God the Father. So this morning, friends, we're going to just let the text guide our outline as we focus in on the contrast of the old and new covenant. And we're going to look at three simple points of both the old covenant and the new covenant. So six total points. We're going to look at the mediator of the old covenant, the requirement of the old covenant, and the promise of the old covenant. And we're going to do those same points, the mediator, the requirement, and the promise of the new covenant. In contrast, these two And see the hope that we truly have in Jesus Christ as our mediator of a new and better covenant. Let's jump into our passage, Hebrews chapter number 9. Let's look at verse number 15. It says this, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This verse starts out with the word, therefore. If you've been around here at any amount of time, you've probably heard us say, anytime you see a therefore, you've got to look back and see what the therefore or why the therefore is there for. Something like that. I messed that up. What does the therefore do? It points back to the previous context, right? And so what have we just learned? We have just learned about the old covenant in verses 1 through 10. We've learned about the hope that we have in the new covenant in verses 11 through 14. And now we have this summary verse here in verse number 15. It's almost a thesis statement, if you will, for the second half of this chapter. He is a mediator of a new covenant. So in this thesis statement, we're reminded of chapter 9 and on into chapter number 10, this reality that we have a mediator and the new covenant truly is better, secured with better promises because of a better sacrifice 
This summary verse is packed with great hope and truth, and we'll be looking back to this verse as we continue to work all the way down through verse number 28 to close out this chapter. We'll be going back to verse number 15 often to recalibrate our flow through this message. So I want to acknowledge just the core thoughts of verse number 15 so that you can have your arms and your minds and your heart wrapped around this verse before we start hammering out the the remainder of this this chapter. First point we'll, we'll notice here is that simply Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. This is the first obvious observation here too. Those who are called or saved will receive an eternal inheritance. Three, this inheritance is secured through the death of Jesus. And point number four, death and ultimately the shedding of blood can redeem the transgressor. So this verse really provides the core structure of the teaching that will follow again all the way down through the end of the chapter. That said, we're going to look back at this first covenant one more time. And our first point this morning is this, the mediator of the first covenant, Moses, a faithful servant. We're going to observe the first point here this morning, the mediator of the first covenant, Moses, a faithful servant. If you remember with me back to the Mosaic covenant, it was God that initiated this covenant relationship with them. And as Pastor Dave reminded us earlier in the chapter, if the recipients of this covenant were faithful, what would they receive? They receive a blessing. If they were not faithful, they would endure a what? A curse. This is the reality that that we see all the way back in Deuteronomy 28 as Moses lays out the incredible onslaught of dangers and warnings of this potential curse that would come as a result of unfaithfulness in the relationship with the Lord. For sake of time, we don't have the time to go back to Deuteronomy 28, but mark that down. Read Deuteronomy 28, both the blessings of this covenant relationship and also the warnings and curse that is sure to come as a result of unfaithfulness in that covenant relationship. And it is very specific and quite frankly, scary. Um, If I were to put myself in that place and receive that for the first time and hear the different warnings of how this unfaithfulness would unfold and the consequences that would come as a result of that, Uh, There was no question in the recipient's mind of this old covenant of what was at stake if they were to wander and become unfaithful in their relationship with the Lord. Despite the warning and despite that clarity from Moses, generation after generation, Israel did not continue in my covenant as we saw in Hebrews chapter number eight, verse number nine. So Moses As a mediator of the first covenant, do we see this in verse number 19? Look with me there. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Verse 20 saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the ten and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So who is the mediator of this first covenant, this old covenant? Moses, 
This faithful servant was entrusted with this covenant relationship as a mediator between he and God and the people of Israel and a holy God. This brings us to our second point of this first covenant. The requirement of the first covenant was what? An innocent sacrifice. An innocent sacrifice. Israel experienced this first covenant's curse and what they needed was to be redeemed. That relationship needed to be reconciled. It needed to be restored. You remember verse number 14. Look back uh, just a few verses up with me to verse number 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The readers here were having this tendency to do what? To rely on dead works. The nation of Israel over and over again fell back to relying on what? Dead works. Unfaithful in their covenant relationship with the Lord. So they were trusting in dead works and this redemption is what they truly needed and we all need redemption in our lives. We all need to be free from dead works that are rooted and grounded in our own self. And we know that that redemption, reconciliation, restoration of that relationship, it could only come through death. You know, there's different strands of the American church would like to take out and uh, make niceties, if you will, of really God's requirement. Would want to erase consequences in hell and the wrath of God altogether. But friends, this is not being faithful to Scripture. This is the ugliness of our sin. This is the ugliness of my own rebellion against a holy God. It demands a payment. I have a debt that I could never pay on my own. I have a eternal problem because of my sin and my rebellion. And it requires death. Without the shedding of blood, verse number 22 reminds us, there is no forgiveness of sins. So that redemption, that restored relationship, it could only be secured through death and not just any death. It had to be the death of of a sacrifice that was without blemish. As verse number 14 indicates, Pastor Dave reminded us in verses 1 through 10, this sacrifice was to be an innocent substitute. It's clear that the author understood the necessity and requirement of the covenant in terms of an innocent sacrifice that would ultimately shed his blood, that the mediator would then apply to the recipients of the covenant to cover what? The sin of the people. Then verse number 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Moses took that blood in this this old covenant, he took the blood of the innocent sacrificial lamb and, and applied it to the people by literally sprinkling the area and the tent and the tabernacle and literally them with this blood. Ultimately, this represented what? Atonement. Through the Levitical system, 
Pastor Dave mentioned the Day of Atonement. This would be the Yom Kippur, known as the Day of Atonement. This Hebrew word for atonement, Kippur, means two things. To repay a debt and to what? Purify. The holiness of God was the focus in verses 1 through 10. That demanded a perfect and holy and without blemish sacrifice to be in relationship with the holy God. So we are talking about atonement here, the day of atonement. This is what we need is atonement. We have a debt that needs to be paid. And friends, we are unholy and we need to be purified. This was the requirement of the first covenant. There was a debt, which was sin, and there was a need to be purified in order to be in relationship with that holy God. So we see the author leaning on their Hebrew understanding of this Levitical priestly system once again to really drive home this requirement. They would have had uh, memories and responses of seeing and observing the death that was required as a result to pay for their sin. So then verse number 18, therefore, Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Just as Moses ratifies the old covenant through the blood of a sacrifice, so will the new covenant be ratified or inaugurated by the blood of Jesus. As we gather just next week to observe the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus instituted this new covenant in uh, Luke chapter number 22. It says what? By his blood. This is the reality of covenant. It demands the shedding of blood in order that there can be forgiveness of sins. This third and final point of the old or first covenant is this. We're going to look at the promise of the first covenant. What was it? Temporary forgiveness of sins. Temporary forgiveness of sins. Why do we say temporary? Because it was an annual exercise that needed to happen in order for the forgiveness of sin to be uh, a reality for the nation of Israel. That day of atonement must be recognized. The, the, the high priest must go through all the purification rituals and offer that sacrifice on behalf of the people in order for there to truly be forgiveness of sin. In an effort to double down on the requirement of a sacrifice through death, the author introduces this illustration of a will in verses 16 through 17. Now I'll note here on verses 16 and 17 that there are some slight interpretive challenges here with this word in our text that is translated as will. Um, instead of sticking with the covenant language that has been consistent throughout the book uh, before and that what will come after, um, most modern translations have chosen in verses 16 and 17 to introduce this idea of will. It's the same word in the Greek. Um, It's diatheki. It's the same word, will or covenant, both in the verses to come and to follow. Anytime you see covenant or right here in 16 and 17, this idea of a last will, it's the same Greek word. 
Uh, but they're introducing this idea of a will or an illustration of a will because of what? Verse number 15. Let's go back to it. Verse number 15, that summary statement, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised what? Eternal inheritance. So an effort to give some additional nuance, almost like a a beautiful new facet of, of a diamond, we're seeing the same word used in relation to a will and an inheritance that will be offered. What is the inheritance of the gospel? What is the inheritance of the great high priest interceding before the Father right now on my behalf? It's that what? I have a secure eternal inheritance. This is the hope and beauty of the gospel in Christ Jesus. So a will instead of a covenant. I don't want to make too much of the interpretive challenge. I hope that that high-level connection between the inheritance and the will will help you. If you want to dive into it more, I'd be happy to grab a cup of coffee with you and and work through some of the uh, textual criticism there of, of how one translation chose to stick with covenant, why others went with this idea of will. Regardless, we're coming to the same conclusion, right? The big idea of Jesus being the mediator of a a new and better covenant through a a better sacrifice that secures a better promise. This is our takeaway. And so no matter where we fall on that piece, I pray that we'll remember that truth as we move forward. This covenant language... Again, we'll continue on through the remainder of the book of Hebrews. And so right here, we have this opportunity of this will, this binding legal document, a last will that guarantees a legacy that was determined by the one who established the will. And that was God the Father. Our next point, our second point of the new covenant, who, or excuse me, the first point, the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus The suffering servant. So now we've switched to the new covenant. Our fourth point this morning. The mediator of the new covenant. Who is it? Not Moses, the faithful servant, but now we have the new covenant. Jesus, the suffering servant. Verse number 24, look with me there. It speaks to this mediator of the new covenant. It says this, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So we really have these these two sanctuaries, if you will. These two tabernacles. One is earthly, that tent that has come. We've seen reference in the first half of uh, chapter 9 here. Verses 1 through 10 and verses 11 through 14. We've seen the tent that is made by hands are not made by hands of this earth. So we have two sanctuaries, two tabernacles, two tents. One is earthly and temporal, looking forward to the eternal tent, the eternal kingdom of God. And this is ultimately what Jesus brings into fruition. He has abolished and fulfilled the old covenant, and established a new covenant. So when he enters into the holy places, he's not entering into a physical tent. That veil has already been rent in twine. And he has gone into the holy places. And now there is a relationship that can be made between God and mankind through the high priest, Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus enters not a physical tent, but he enters heaven itself, going directly to the throne of God. And this is the beautiful hope that we have. In Hebrews, the great high priest. Looking back to chapter number 7, we're reminded of this better mediator, Jesus. But he holds, in verse number 24, his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you remember the beautiful hope of chapter number 7 in verses 24 and 25, this is Jesus Christ. When he entered heaven, this is his role. A perfect representation. Holy representation directly to the Father. Intercession, representation, all on our behalf. Saving to the uttermost. This is the work that our mediator, Jesus Christ, secured on our behalf. Praise the Lord. Point number five, the second point of the new covenant. What was the requirement of the new covenant? The same as the Old Covenant. It was an innocent sacrifice. Verse number 15 reminds us that the promise of the New Covenant is secured only through what? Death. A sacrifice. And similar to this Old Covenant, an innocent sacrifice is required. And under this New Covenant, God the Father, I love this, God the Father provided the means by which this relationship could be initiated, maintained, and completed all through His Son. And who is the Son? The suffering servant. Jesus, or excuse me, God the Father provided the means for this perfect and, and blameless sacrifice. Jesus Christ, without spot or blemish, He provided the sacrifice through His Son. Atonement under the new covenant, is still what is needed. If you remember with me, just a few moments ago, we defined atonement as both the payment of sin and the purification of the tabernacle. Jesus now enters heaven as our representative. The author goes to describe in beautiful fashion a couple nuances concerning the sacrifice. He calls out the quality of the blood and the frequency of the sacrifice the quality of the blood, and the frequency of the sacrifice. Look at me in verse number 25. Verse number 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. So first we see the quality of the blood is not the blood of animals offered continually as the Levitical priest would do on the Day of Atonement, but rather... When Jesus, as our perfect mediator, when Jesus mediates on our behalf before the throne of the Father, He comes with His own blood. Jesus comes to the Father with His own blood. And it is only by the blood of Jesus that an eternal, that an eternal hope that could be secured. An eternal inheritance could be made ours through this legacy or this will or this covenant between God the Father and His people through Jesus Christ. Second, we observe the frequency of the sacrifice changes. 
between the old covenant and the new covenant. This isn't the first time we've seen it in the book of Hebrews, but it is very crucial that we understand this once again. We have already proclaimed and affirmed this and worshiped the Lord with this truth this morning in song. Look at me at verse number 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once For all, it is finished. Period. Nothing more, nothing less. And friends, I hope that the once and for all finished work of Jesus at the cross of Calvary, again, I pray that it would never become something that is mundane or trite in our hearts and our minds, but the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the reality that Jesus paid for my sin and for your sin by means of his own blood. That we would marvel at that all our days. That we would stand in awe of the great love that God the Father has towards us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we observe the frequency of this sacrifice has changed. Once for all, it is finished. There is a conclusiveness represented here in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Our sixth and final point this morning as we look at the promise of the new covenant. What is it? An an eternal inheritance. The promise of the new covenant, an eternal inheritance. The promise of the new covenant really is twofold as we look at these final few verses in chapter number nine, verse number 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Jesus, friends, you remember this. Jesus paid a debt He did not owe. Because we owed a debt that we could never pay. Do you remember that? Jesus Our mediator, the great high priest, he paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could never pay. Jesus took on himself the judgment. He took on the wrath of a holy God. He stood in the gap. He took our place as that substitutionary sacrificial lamb. And Jesus did what we could never do. And because he did what we could never do, he is able to offer an inheritance that we could never secure on our own. What incredible hope and beauty there is in that reality. Verse number 27 is a stark reminder and warning that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. For those that are in, are not in Christ Jesus, excuse me, who have not accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, have not received uh, the free gift of, of the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, They're still in their sin. They're still trusting in their own righteousness. At one point, one day, one moment, it's appointed that we all will take our last breath. And I wonder, friends, do you know Jesus? And if we know Jesus, there is great hope this morning. 
that Jesus has secured on our behalf. If we do not know Jesus and we are trusting ourselves or trusting anything else to save us other than Jesus Christ, we have a great problem before us because there will be judgment awaiting for us. That's not a scare tactic. That's not meant to stir up any other emotion other than a sobering reality that eternity is real. It is not meant to be shared other than a reminder that we don't have to experience that judgment. God's grace has been shown towards us through Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wonder, friends, have you received that free gift? Do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord? It is done, it is finished. No more debt I owe. We have sung over and over here the last few weeks of All Sufficient Merit, that new song. This is the message of the atonement, fully and completely realized in verse number 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ will appear a second time. Just as on the Day of Atonement, the Levitical high priest would emerge out from the Holy of Holies. He would emerge out from the tabernacle of the most high place. After sprinkling blood on the mercy seat, Christ too will emerge from the heavenly sanctuary and he will appear a second time, not for judgment, as in the case with those who do not have faith in Christ. But now, Jesus Christ, our mediator, our great high priest, he comes to bring the final promised salvation to those who eagerly wait for him. What a promise and what a hope. Jesus takes that paid in full sacrifice directly to the Father. And we are now called His sons and daughters. We are adopted into His family and co-heirs with Christ. And we have an eternal inheritance. Can we say wow to that? As we've examined the mediator, the requirement, and the promise of both the Old and New Covenant, I wonder this morning, again, do you know Jesus as your mediator? Have you recognized your need, cried out to God in repentance of your sin, and have you received the free gift of salvation by grace through faith and none other than Jesus Christ alone? Friends, the big idea of our message this morning reminded us that Jesus As a mediator of a new covenant, he is able to forgive sin. Is he forgiven your sin? Jesus, as a mediator of a new covenant, he is able to save sinners. Jesus saved you this morning. And Jesus, as a mediator of the new covenant, through his once and final sacrifice of himself before the God, before God the Father, excuse me, is able to give us an eternal inheritance. Would you join me as we close in a word of prayer? God, we come to you right now. We're overwhelmed 
that your grace, your love, your mercy that is shown towards us in Christ Jesus. I'm in awe this morning that you not leave us to the old covenant. I'm in awe that you made a better way through a new covenant and and you provided the means by, by way of your own son, Jesus Christ. How undeserving we are of this truth. How undeserving we are of this gift. How undeserving we are of this grace in our lives. And God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who is, who is wrestling, who is striving, who's convicted, they know, they do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. They would simply cry out, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that, that I've sinned against you, a holy God, and, and I know I, I need to be saved. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. I receive your free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And your word says in Romans 9 that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we have the promise that we will be saved. I pray for the gift of faith this morning in our church. I pray that you would help our unbelief. I pray that you would draw us to remember a cross and to see a Savior bleeding, making atonement and and propitiation for our sin, paying the penalty for our sin, taking on the wrath of God, standing in the gap and making a way for us to be reconciled back to God. Thank you. Thank you, God the Father, for that. Whatever response can we have than just simply saying thank you. God, I pray this morning that you would be glorified and that we would be changed. We pray all these things in your name.